Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10. Who can find a wife of noble character? She is far more precious than jewels, and the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will not lack anything good. She rewards him with good, not evil, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from far away. She rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and portions for her female servants. She evaluates a field and buys it. She plants a vineyard with her earnings. She draws on her strength and reveals that her arms are strong. She sees that her profits are good and her lamp never goes out at night. She extends her hands to the spinning staff and her hands hold the spindle. Her hands reach out to the poor and she extends her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of her household when it snows, for all in her household are doubly clothed. She makes her own bed coverings. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the city gates where he sits among the elders of the land. She makes and sells linen garments. She delivers belts to the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. And she can laugh at the time to come. Her mouth speaks wisdom and loving instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the activities of her household and is never idle. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. Many women have done noble deeds, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Give her the reward of her labor and let her works praise her at the city gates. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you for the template in scripture that we have for a godly woman, as well as the templates in scripture we have for godly men. And God, I pray that you would raise up godly men and women from this ministry, um, whether or not they are called to marriage or to singleness, uh, wherever you have them, God, I pray that you would help them to be uh, great godly men and women who fear the Lord, that that is what is to be praised. God, as you say from your word that you look to those who are humble and contrite at heart and tremble at your word. God, that you would raise up men and women in this fashion, that we would humble ourselves before the preaching of your word and that we would sing songs of thanksgiving and praise to you, for we love you. We love who you've called us to be in Christ Jesus. And God, how you have shown us the example, shown us the way forward of what it means to be a godly man and a godly woman. So God, would you continue to fashion us more into the image of Jesus Christ, that you would use your word to do that in us for the work that you have to do through us? God, would we be hard workers like that of the Proverbs 31 woman? And God, that we would be exalted in our humility that you call us to. God, would you be with us now as we worship you in spirit and in truth? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be talking about marriage tonight. Y'all have been going through the book of Ruth, uh, studying this story. We're going to talk a lot about marriage tonight. And uh, what I hope to give you from God's word is, is nothing of my own word, but God's plan uh, for how you can set a foundation in your life right now uh, to pursue a godly marriage. We are building a foundation for a godly marriage. So buckle in. Uh, I'm not the expert here, but God's word is perfect. It's inerrant. 
and it is all sufficient for every part of our lives. So I, I hope to just open that up and share that with you. My wife, Anna, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, say anything about her. She is definitely the cooler side of our relationship. Uh, she is awesome. Uh, she works at Arise to Read. Anybody heard of Arise to Read here? No, no, no. Okay, Arise to Read uh, is a um, nonprofit here in Memphis that uh, works inside inner city schools, and she's the evangelism coordinator. So she does like the awesome work in our, our ministry together. But uh, we met uh, here at Bellevue, uh, just, um, you know, just worshiping the Lord, serving Him. I came on staff, and she was also on staff at Arise. And so we met and fell in love. I will say this. We, um, we enjoyed many bonfires and uh, line dancing, so I, I might have to join y'all later in the summer when y'all do that. We did some Redbirds games, so we, we get what it means to be in uh, your seat. Uh, and we met, we fell in love, the Lord blessed it, and uh, now we've been married for about a year, a uh, year and two months. March 7th, last year we got married, and we were uh, the last real wedding of 2020, and uh, before everything hit the fan, and uh, we have been working on our marriage, um, just falling deeper in love with each other and with the Lord. And so marriage is fun. Marriage is a lot of work, uh, but we're going to look today about how you can make some of that work a lot easier on the front end, how you can set a foundation. So we're going to be in Ruth chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. I invite you to turn in your, uh, your copy of God's Word uh, to Ruth chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. The title of my message, if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to take notes, is Seven Prerequisites for a Godly Marriage. Now, I'm sorry to pull out that academic term for you. I know that might cause a little bit of uh, you know, flashback to college or uh, maybe some anxiety, but um, Seven Prerequisites for a Godly Marriage. I, I use that term intentionally because that term in, in my Collins book of definitions means this is something that you need to have in place before you move forward, right? This is a class or a requirement that you need to have in place before you move forward. So seven uh, prerequisites for a godly marriage. Now, I also want to say the most important word in that title is not marriage, right? We're not pursuing marriage for marriage's sake. Now, marriage is great. It's awesome. But the most important word in that title is godly, right? Uh, that should be the purpose of our lives. That should be our chief aim is to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want to give you some tools to look more like Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 3, uh, 10 through 18. I'm going to read our text for us if you'll uh, read along with me. It says, Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter, you have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now, it is true I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, Good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet 
until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and, and hold it. So she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did it go, my daughter? And, how, and she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, these, measures, these six measures of barley he gave to me, and for, for he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then she said, wait, my daughter, until you, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and your provision, your plan for our lives, God. I pray that you would reveal to us what you would have us to do. I pray that you would apply the scripture to the hearts of everyone in this room. God, I pray that we would leave knowing how we can better serve you and look like your son, Jesus Christ. So God, I ask these things. I pray that we'd be focused on your word and what it says and not my word, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, seven prerequisites uh, for a godly marriage. But first of all, I kind of want to catch this up. Y'all took a week off, right? Uh, Y'all had, had a down week. So, And there might be somebody who missed a week in the story of Ruth. So I'm going to give a basic summary. But uh, Ruth, uh, the book is titled after Ruth, obviously. But there's three chief characters in the book. It's Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, right? We, in the very beginning, we see the, the, uh, um, the family of Naomi moving to Moab, the land of Moab to uh, ex- escape a famine, and uh, tragedy falls. Her husband dies, Naomi's husband dies, but not before her two sons had married uh, Moabite women, right? Foreign women, and uh, one of those uh, women that were, their son married was the, by the name of Ruth, and tragedy falls again, and somehow the, uh, the two sons die, and so what is left is uh, Naomi and Ruth and another daughter-in-law. And uh, the option is given to the two daughter-in-laws to stay with Naomi or to go back to their families, which would have been a lot more comfortable. And one of the uh, daughter-in-laws obviously chooses to do that. Y'all have covered that, right? And then Ruth uh, actually chooses to stay with Naomi. It says, uh, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. And your God will be my God. And so she shows loyalty to her mother-in-law, and they're both widows, and they're wondering how God is going to provide, right? And they, they make a plan uh, to, to uh, get some uh, grain that falls, and, and uh, a man by the name of Boaz shows up and, uh, and starts giving some acts of kindness to their family, uh, to Ruth as she gleans. He, he notices Ruth. And God provides for Ruth and Naomi in that way. And what we will see now is that God will continue to provide for Ruth and Naomi uh, through Boaz. Uh, they are at this scene that crossed, uh, preached a sermon on a couple weeks ago, this midnight hour, right? It's, it's kind of a scandalous scene, uh, but there was no scandal. They uh, followed the Lord. They remained pure. Uh, but what we see is an interaction now, a plan uh, to, to uh, pursue marriage. And so this can show us 
uh, seven prerequisites for a godly marriage. All right, the first prerequisite, I know you've been waiting a long time for this, the purpose to pursue, purpose to pursue. Verse 10 says, uh, then he said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have uh, shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. You see, Ruth, we, we know this from the passage, she was selective. She didn't go after the first young man that came her way, but she was selective about who she pursued. She purposed herself to find the right mate. I love uh, Cross's definition of what dating is supposed to be. He says, Christians date to evaluate a person with the interest of pursuing them for the purpose of marriage. Dating should only happen for the purpose of pursuing marriage. And that's exactly what we see that Ruth did with Boaz. She was bold in pursuing him, but she did not pursue just the first uh, young man that came uh, her way. She did not date uh, for personal pleasure. She didn't date for personal fun. Uh, she purposed herself to pursue a man that would meet her needs. Uh, she purposed herself by uh, setting her criteria, right? Uh, a, a true follower of the one true God. She converted uh, when she uh, linked up with Naomi. She said, your God will be my God. And so that faith had to be there. That same shared faith had to be there. And uh, a share of cultural values. But what we really see was the link was that it was God's plan for Boaz to redeem her and Naomi's family. So you see, Boaz was her uh, mother-in-law, Naomi's, uh, second in line uh, to redeem them. This was a cultural norm. Y'all probably studied this, I'm sure. Uh, but it was his responsibility uh, to purchase the property of Naomi and to, to make sure that her family was cared for. In doing so, uh, he would also have Ruth as his wife. Uh, Cross also said, I got to watch a sermon, uh, if marriage is not your aim, you are in danger of physical, emotional, and spiritual hurt. And that is so true. If, if true marriage, if, if a godly marriage was not Ruth's aim in this situation, she and Naomi both would have been in great uh, danger of emotional and physical hurt. You know, I also like to think that Ruth had a great grasp on what the purpose of marriage is. Not only did she purpose herself to find the right mate, but she knew what the right purpose of marriage is. You see, God did not design marriage to make us happy or to always have a friend at our side. You know, we love to think about those things. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, those things are blessings from God. They, they come, you know, we, Anna and I enjoy companionship. We always have, I always have a shoulder to cry on and, and we're always there to support each other. But God designed marriage for three specific purposes. And I, I like to think that Ruth, and I think the, the text bears this out, that she knew what these purposes were. And I want you to know what these purposes were. First, God designed marriage to meet our need for companionship. Like I said, he, he, uh, he designed it so we have somebody uh, that can be with us on the, in the valleys and in the mountain, on the mountaintops. Uh, his word says that uh, it is not good that man should be alone, right? Right there at creation, it is not good that man should go through this alone. Secondly, he designed marriage uh, for procreation, right? 
Uh, I don't want to get too graphic here, but right at the beginning of uh, creation, God says, be fruitful and multiply. So that is a chief purpose of marriage. And then thirdly, and this is one, this is probably the most important uh, in my book, at least, God designed marriage to provide an illustration of our relationship with him. Marriage shows us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we will dive into this a little bit more, but uh, the marriage shows us the relationship even between Jesus and the church, his bride. And you all, if you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, are a member of that big C church. And, uh, and Christ loves you and died for you just as a husband ought to love and sacrifice himself for his bride. So God designed marriage for these three specific things. You know, culture will tell you a lot of different things about marriage, and I don't want y'all to be fooled, but God designed it uh, for a specific purpose. The bottom line is you must purpose yourself for, to find the right type of mate, and you also should understand the right purposes of marriage. All right, second, the second prerequisite of a godly marriage is a passion to serve, a passion to serve. Verse 11 says, uh, this is Boaz speaking, now my daughter, do not fear, I will do whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Boaz was willing to do whatever was necessary to meet the needs of Ruth and Naomi. He had already exemplified that uh, in previous chapters. Uh, he, he didn't matter what social cost that would come upon him, uh, her being a uh, Moabite. He didn't, he didn't worry about that. Uh, he didn't worry about the financial cost that would come upon him. Likewise, Ruth had also already subordinated, right? She already brought herself under uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law. She was serving Naomi by following her and, and supporting her and, and seeking to find a way for them to have sustenance. Ruth chapter 2, 14 through 16 says, And they lifted up their voices and uh, wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Uh, return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. So Boaz was serving both Ruth and Naomi, and Ruth was serving Naomi. So there's a lot of service happening in this place, right? Everybody's serving one another. We see uh, followers of the one true God who are subordinating their interests for the interests of those around them. And that's what we see in, in marriage. Uh, Ephesians 5 uh, says, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be uh, to their husbands and everything. Now, girls, don't get mad because uh, what the husband has to do uh, here, if you'll pay attention, is almost far more drastic. They, they're very equal uh, in, in uh, similarity here. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. What did Christ do for us? Right? Somebody could say it. That's okay. 
He died for us, right? So husbands ought to die every day to their wives. They, they ought to sacrifice their needs, their wants, their desires for that of their wives and, and, and always uh, put her first. Ruth was called to submit to Boaz and to serve him. She was called to respect him and, and, and follow his leadership. But Boaz was also called to die. He's called to make his wants and desires nothing uh, for that of Ruth and Naomi and their family. Both are called to serve one another. And, and what, I, what I'm presenting to you is that they were doing this far, be, far before they were ever married. We see that, right? And they were serving one another before they were married. This doesn't devalue the male or the female, but in reality, it gives them purpose and it uh, infuses meaning and spiritual vitality. And it, it goes back to God's original design for our lives. And this is where we can really thrive in Christ. In fact, uh, it's really, really fitting that we read uh, Proverbs 31 because in the original uh, uh, ordering of the Hebrew Bible, uh, Proverbs or Ruth comes immediately after the book of Proverbs, which I, I didn't know that before I started studying it. You know, you learn something new every day, right? But uh, Proverbs 31 is kind of meant in the ordering of things, at least traditionally, right, uh, to uh, highlight the life of Ruth. And so uh, when you think of that Proverbs 31 woman, uh, where the Bible says, an excellent wife, who can find? Her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. When you think of that, you can think of the life of Ruth, uh, how she served Boaz and Naomi, and Boaz likewise. God calls us to serve one another in marriage, but it does not have to start when you say, I do. We can serve one another right now. You know, I've, I've often heard Brother Steve even say, you're never more like Christ than when you're giving or when you're serving. Uh, when you're looking out beyond yourself and you're seeking to impact one another uh, for the gospel and the glory of God. And so, Start serving those around you. That's a prerequisite. If you don't have a heart for service, your marriage is going to suffer. All right, thirdly, the third prerequisite for a godly marriage, presence to discern. Presence to discern. God's Word says uh, in verse 12, Now it is true I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night when Morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down till, until morning. Boaz rightly directed the situation uh, to one that is uh, of discernment, right? He, uh, he read the, you know, the coolness of the night, uh, the scandal, what could have potentially happened. Uh, we looked at that two weeks ago. Uh, but he, he was discerning in what he should do next. He didn't let his flesh just uh, drive the situation, right? He used his heart, he used his mind, he prayed to the Lord, and he was able uh, to escape uh, the potential scandal of a, between a robe and a soft place and do what the Lord would have him to do. He, he pauses here to consider the social ramifications of what he's about to do. You see, it would have been a great affront if he would have just taken the situation into his own hand and taken Ruth to be his wife right then 
It would have been a, a, a travesty for a man of God and a man of his stature in the community. He needed to go clear it and make arrangements with the one that was actually a closer relative than him uh, before moving forward. He understands that he doesn't have the first right of refusal uh, to redeem Ruth. Uh, this act would make her a permanent member of his household. And so it had great ramifications, great consequence uh, for the rest of all of their lives. But he does not leave Ruth without affirmation. He says, if he won't do it, if the first man in line won't do it, I will. He gives her his word. Now you can, uh, it's kind of difficult to interpret, uh, you know, some of the tone in the conversation that we see here. But I like to think that there was a lot of desire that night, right? You know, Ruth uh, certainly wanted a, a husband. And Boaz certainly uh, was attracted to, to Ruth. But they did not let that uh, get in the way of God's ultimate plan. They showed self-restraint. And likewise, we should uh, practice discernment in the Lord. God can and He will help you discern who you are to pursue uh, in a dating relationship. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. James 1, 5, if we believe this, this is a great promise for each of our lives. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all above repro without reproach and it will be given to him. If any of you lacks wisdom, just ask, and he will give to you generously. Philippians 1, 9 and 10, it says, And it is my prayer, this is Paul writing, that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul is saying, I want you to discern what is the best thing for your life. Do that in all, uh, in all communicating with God, and, and God has a plan for you, and He wants what is pure and blameless before Christ. So what does this mean for your life? What does this mean for my life? It means that we shouldn't rush into anything. We should be calculated, and we should know what our criteria are, just like Ruth and Boaz did. We, we should be discerning. We should ask God for wisdom about who we should pursue and how to even initiate the process. He will get down to the details with you, y'all. He'll say when, how, who, and he will put that in your heart and allow you to have the wisdom on how to do that. Philippians 4, 6, uh, just a word of encouragement says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Let your requests be known to God. He will give you wisdom. All right, the fourth prerequisite for a godly marriage. What you can be doing now to get ready for a godly marriage is a purity in heart. Purity in heart. Ruth 3 uh, verse 14 says, so she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. We've already talked about it, but we know that they were in a potentially compromising uh, situation. They were laying there, right? They weren't married. Uh, they 
uh, could have potentially fallen, right? They could have potentially sinned in the eyes of God by uh, having uh, sexual intercourse with one another. I believe uh, that the Bible says that a premarital sex is sin. And that's a tough uh, countercultural thing uh, to say, but I believe that the Bible says it. Uh, I believe that, uh, you know, God created man and woman uh, to enjoy the pleasures of sex within marriage, but not before. Uh, Genesis 2, 22 says, The Lord fashioned into a, woman, into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. I like to think of she said, he's saying, whoa, man, like he, she, he can't get enough, right? Uh, because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. When they get married, that is when they become one flesh. In the eyes of God and physically, they become one flesh. That is just a part of marriage. That's a part of Creation, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Cross said it well two weeks ago that the hookup culture of America is completely incompatible with God's word. And so we need to pursue purity and uh, we need to uh, align ourselves with God's word, and he will bless that. He will give you the desires of your heart. When we become uh, family members of God, uh, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, we actually become co-heirs with Christ, right? That's a neat picture. Uh, we uh, also carry the reputation of Christ. And so whenever we do engage in casual dating or hookup culture or whatever, uh, or you know, pornography or any other sexual immorality for that matter, we suffer uh, bringing reproach on the name of Christ. And that should be taken very seriously. Uh, we should uh, repent of our sins and give that to the Lord. And uh, you, you really are in a lot of danger when you do partake in that. Matthew 12, now this is a, this is a, a hard passage, uh, but I want you to hear it. Uh, with an open mind. Uh, this is Jesus talking. He says, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Have you ever heard uh, the darkness will come to the light? Everything you do in the dark will come to the light? Well, that's what Jesus is saying here. Uh, I, I would say, you know, God, uh, Jesus comes back to say it. This is a tough thing to say, but he says, fear the one who has the authority to cast your body into hell, right? We know when we are, when we are saved, we are eternally secure, but still we ought to have a righteous fear there of the power of God. We should have a right view of our sin and be broken over our sin and, and live in righteousness and pursue righteousness because of the power of God. But praise God for grace through his son, Jesus Christ, through his shed blood. No matter what your past holds, no matter what your current situation is, it's never too far gone for Christ to redeem it. It's all covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is repent and confess your sin to him, and he is faithful and just uh, to forgive you. 
You know, Tony Evans wrote in a book, I, I, I thought this is just really a, a powerful picture. I want you to take it for, to heart. It says, if a person goes on a long trip, some of y'all might be traveling this summer, so I think about this. Um, if a person goes on a long trip and they travel the same route there and back, most of the time, it seems like the trip is shorter on the way back, right? Uh, and it, it doesn't take less time, but it always seems that way. Why is that? He says, there's something about traveling home. No matter how far a person has traveled away, the return trip, especially back to the Lord, always seems shorter than the time moving away from him. The trip home always seems shorter. I think that's by God's grace. He's always standing there, no matter what we've done, no matter uh, who we are, what we're currently doing, he's always standing there with his arms open wide saying, come home. I want you to live for me. I often ask myself, am I clean before the Lord? Do I have any sexual sin or anger or any other sin for that matter? And then also, am I close to the Lord? So as you prepare for marriage or whatever's next for you or a life of or whatever you, you have in your path, stay clean before the Lord, stay close to the Lord, stay pure before the Lord. All right, the fifth a uh, prerequisite for a godly marriage is provision to grow. Now, this is super practical. It's a little bit lighter than the last one. Thank God, right? Uh, provision to grow. Verse 15, chapter 3 of Ruth. And again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. You know, uh, this fifth one is talking about provision uh, to grow. Guys, I, I've got to give you a fair warning, and you might have been in this situation before, uh, but when you go to ask for uh, your a girlfriend's hand in marriage, and you're hoping she will soon become your fiance, there's one question that is inevitably going to come up, and that is, how are you going to provide? Now, that's a scary question to have to answer, and admittedly, I've, I didn't do everything right in, in asking and, and, and answering all those questions the right way. But I just want to give you a fair warning. How are you going to provide? You know, God's word has something to say about a man providing for his house. First uh, Timothy chapter five, verse eight says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, that's pretty harsh, right? But it's God's word and it's truth. If anyone doesn't provide for his own, he is worse than an unbeliever. So one way that we can grow in godliness, guys and gals here, is to work hard and to seek to provide uh, for our houses. Um, God honor, honors hard work um, because it, he created us to work. I know you all have studied that in the past, uh, but I, I want to tell you that uh, anybody that's willing to work hard and to sacrifice uh, for the greater good, for their job, or what, however they're working, is prepared for marriage. Uh, work and sacrifice and hard work uh, is what marriage takes uh, emotionally, but also sometimes physically. It, it can be hard work. And so uh, the prerequisite here is provision to grow. All right, sixth is precision of intent. Precision, precision of intent. Boaz definitely 
uh, clarified what the relationship was going to be. In verse 16, it says, when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, these six measures of barley he gave to me, uh, for he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Now, that's a good practical uh, piece of wisdom. Don't ever go to your mother-in-law empty-handed, guys or gals. Isn't, I've learned that one the hard way. So don't go to your mother-in-law empty-handed, but uh, we're looking at precision of intent. See, Ruth is excitedly debriefing with her mother-in-law, uh, Naomi. She said, uh, all that the man has done for me. She described it all in, in a dramatic fashion, I'm sure. Uh, she got back early before she could even see anything before her face. You see, she was excited because Boaz had given her a symbol of his own intention. He was not unclear about what he, uh, what direction he sought to go. He said, if he doesn't redeem you, I certainly will, even this next day. Not only had he promised with his words, but he backed it up with a substantial gift, a gift of provision. And so uh, when, when the Bible talks about swearing oaths, it says, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. So I want to encourage you, if you're not in it and you know that you're not really feeling this person and you're dating them, don't keep going in that. Don't play with somebody's heart. Let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. Be clear about your intentions. I, I like to think of uh, you know relationships as having kind of some tears, right? First, you're casual and you're discovering about this person. Then next, you're committed to them. And you might be dating and, and, and discovering about them. And, and you might even become engaged to them, pursuing marriage. But then you move from being casual and you move from being committed. And then you move to covenant. And that's where God enters in, right? And a, 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 a cord of three strands is not easily broken. You, on that wedding day, you are committing yourself for life. You're covenanting with God to this person. And so don't take that lightly. You're on a, a journey here um, for a lifetime commitment, a lifetime covenant. And then finally comes the companionship, right? There's casual, there's commitment, there's covenant, and then there's companionship where you have that person for a lifetime. So do not take that lightly. Don't play with someone's heart. Be clear about your intentions from the very start. Remember, Christians date to evaluate a person with the interest of pursuing them for the purpose of marriage. All right, last one, the seventh, is patience to wait. Patience to wait. Verse 18, then she said, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. That's my kind of guy, right? He, he won't rest until he has settled it today. But Ruth still needed to be patient on God's timing. Uh, Boaz had some things he needed to settle, uh, but he was going to settle it today. You know, it's a cliche, but I uh, fully believe it to be true that God's timing is perfect. Now, some of y'all don't like hearing that. Some of y'all, it's a tough thing to hear, uh, but his timing is perfect. Even when we don't see a way, God sees a way and he makes a way. I've referenced this before, but in the sermon, but Romans chapter eight says, and we know that God causes all things to work together to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. How many of y'all love God? 
How many of y'all feel like you're called to a purpose here in life, to his purpose? You want to live for him, right? Well, he says that he will make all things work together for your good. If we focus our affections on him and we pursue him every day, ultimately, he will bless our path. Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you desire to be married, I've heard Cross say it before, if you desire to be married, then more than likely you're going to be married one day. God has a person there for you, but you have everything you need right now to live a full and rewarding life in Christ Jesus. He is uh, the sustainer of all that you need, and you can focus your attentions and your affections on Him and he will, he will provide for you. But if you delight yourself in Him, that's when He gives you the desires of your heart. That's when He blesses you with the de desires of your heart. So if you're a follower of Christ, if you love Jesus in here, I would, I would just challenge you to purpose yourself to pursue, right? Uh, exemplify a passion to serve other people. Stay close to the Lord to have some discernment, presence to discern. Stay pure before the Lord, purity in heart. Work on your provision to grow, right? Be precise with your intentions with another person. And then show patience to wait. And God will honor that. Now, it's, it's hard in, in a lot of seasons, but uh, He wants to uh, stay close to you as you draw near to Him. You know, you uh, might hear all that I'm saying tonight, and it might not make any sense to you whatsoever. You have no idea what it means to walk with the Lord. You've heard about this Jesus stuff. You love the coffee, so you keep coming. And that is, that's a great place to be in. That, honestly, honestly, we laugh about it. That's a great place to be in. But God designed marriage, and we're talking about marriage, to give us a picture of him, a picture of the gospel, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, uh, you know, Romans says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and I believe that sin leads to death, right? We all are appointed a time to die, but I want you to know that you don't have to die and be eternally separated from God. You can die and, and spend eternity in a better place with him, worshiping him, and Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, this is the formula, right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. All it takes is repenting of our sins, Believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, believe that He died, He lived a, a sinless life, that He was the Son of God, and He died. And three days later, after being buried, He rose again. God raised Him from the dead, and that He has a plan for you. And that's a that's a free gift. God's word says. So, if you don't have that, I'm I'm absolutely positive that there are tons of people in this room that would love to talk to you about that. Would love to make that right. I I would say. Don't go another day. You might, you might be focused on job. You might be focused on relationships. But your real focus should be getting right with the Lord. And maybe you have sin in your life. that You don't feel God's presence. And you are a believer, but 
you, you uh, feel hopeless in this in the search for marriage or the search for identity or the search for a new job or uh, maybe your family relationships are out of whack. I'm here to tell you, no matter what you feel in your life, God's word has an answer for you. God has a plan for you and he loves you and he wants to draw near to you. So as we conclude, I just want to challenge you. Don't gloss over this season of your life because the more you can do to prepare for marriage, the better your marriage is going to be, all right? The more you draw closer to the Lord, the more he's going to bless your future marriage. The more you will be a, a person that um, people see the light of Jesus Christ in. Do we really want them to see how good we look or our muscles or uh, how big my beard is? Or do I want them to see Jesus Christ living in me? So draw near to him. He will draw near to you.